Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door In years to come, Harry would never quite remember how he had managed to get through his exams when he half expected Voldemort to come bursting through the door at any moment. Yet the days crept by, and there could be no doubt that Fluffy was still alive and well beyond the locked door. It was sweltering hot, especially in the large classroom where they had written their papers. They had been given special new quills for the exams, which had been bewitched with an anti-cheating spell. They had practical exams as well. Professor Flitwick called them one by one into his class to ask if they could make a pineapple tap dance across a desk. Professor McGonagall watched them turn a mouse into a snuffbox. Points were given for how pretty the snuffbox was, but taken away if it had whiskers. Snape had made them all nervous, breathing down their necks while they tried to remember how to make a forgetfulness potion. Harry did the best he could, trying to ignore the stabbing pains in his forehead, which had been bothering him ever since his trip into the forest. Neville thought Harry had a bad case of exam nerves because Harry couldn't sleep, but the truth was that Harry kept being woken by his old nightmare, except that it was now worse than ever because there was a hooded figure dripping blood in it. Maybe it was because they hadn't seen what Harry had seen in the forest, or because they didn't have the scars burning on their forehead. But Ron and Hermione didn't seem as worried about the stone as Harry. The idea of Voldemort certainly scared them, but he didn't keep visiting them in dreams. And they were so busy with their studying, they didn't have much time to fret about what Snape or anyone else might be up to. Their very last exam was History of Magic. One hour of answering questions about batty old wizards who invented self-stirring cauldrons, and they'd be free. Free for a whole wonderful week until their exam results came out. When the, ghosts of Professor B when the ghost of Professor Binns told them to put down their quills and roll up their parchment, Harry couldn't help cheering with the rest. That was far easier than I thought it would be, said Hermione as they joined the crowds flocking out into the sunny grounds. I needn't have learned about the 1637 Werewolf Code of Conduct, or the uprising of Elfric the Eager. Hermione always liked to go through their exam papers afterward. Ron said this made him feel ill. <laughs> but Ron said this made him feel ill. So they wandered down to the lake and flopped under a tree. The Weasley twins and Lee Jordan were tickling the tentacles of a giant squid, which was basking in the warm shallows. No more studying! Ron sighed happily, stretching out on the grass. You could look more cheerful, Harry. We've got a week before we find out how badly we've done. There's no need to worry yet. Harry was rubbing his forehead. I wish I knew what this means, he burst out angrily. My scar keeps hurting. It's happened before, but never as often as this. Go to Madame Pomfrey, Hermione suggested. I'm not ill, said Harry. I think it's a warning. It means danger's coming. Ron couldn't get worked up. It was too hot. Harry, relax. Hermione's right. The stone's safe as long as Dumbledore's around. Anyway, we've never had any proof. Snape found out how to get past Fluffy. He nearly had his leg ripped off once. <laughs> He's not going to try it again in a hurry. And Neville will play Quidditch for England before Hagrid lets Dumbledore down. Harry nodded but he couldn't shake off a lurking feeling that there was something he'd forgotten to do. Something important. When he tried to explain this, Hermione said, That's just the exams. I woke up last night and was halfway through my transfiguration notes before I remembered we'd done that one already. 
Harry was quite sure the unsettled feeling didn't have anything to do with work, however. <laughs> I started with the word however, and I tried halfway through to correct it to though, which is the actual word it's supposed to say, so I'll just take that one again. Harry was quite sure the unsettled feeling didn't have anything to do with work, though. He watched an owl flutter toward the school across the bright blue sky. A note clamped in its mouth. Hagrid was the only one who ever sent him letters. Hagrid would never betray Dumbledore. Hagrid would never tell anyone how to get past Fluffy. Never. But... Harry suddenly jumped to his feet. Where are you going? said Ron sleepily. I've just thought of something, said Harry. He had turned white. We've got to go and see Hagrid now. Why? panted Hermione, hurrying to keep up. Don't you think it's a bit odd? said Harry, scrambling up the grassy slope. That what Hagrid wants more than anything else is a dragon, and a stranger turns up who just so happens to have an egg in his pocket. How many people wander around with dragon eggs if it's against wizard law? Lucky they found Hagrid, don't you think? Why did it before? What are you talking about? said Ron, but Harry, sprinting across the grounds toward the forest, didn't answer. Hagrid was sitting in an armchair beside his house. His trousers and sleeves were rolled up, and he was shelling peas into a large bowl. Hello, he said, smiling. Finished your exams? Got time for a drink? Yes, please, said Ron, but Harry cut him off. No, we're in a hurry. Hagrid, I've got to ask you something. You know that night that you won Norbert? What did the stranger that you were playing cards with look like? Uh, I don't know, said Hagrid casually. He wouldn't take his cloak off. He saw the three of them look stunned and raised his eyebrows. Not that unusual. You get a lot of funny folk in the Ogg's Head. That's one of the pubs down in the village. Might have been a dragon dealer, mightn't he? I never saw his face, he kept his hood up. Harry sank down next to the bowl of peas. What did you talk to him about, Hagrid? Did you mention Hogwarts at all? It might have come up, said Hagrid, frowning as he tried to remember. Yeah. He asked what I did, and I told him I was gamekeeper here. He asked about the sort of creatures I look after. So I told him, and I said, I'd always really want a dragon, and then... I can't remember too well. Kept buying me drinks. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, then he said he had the dragon egg and we could play cards for it if I wanted. But he had to be sure I could handle it. He didn't want it just to go to any old home. So I told him, after Fluffy, a dragon would be easy. And did he... Did he seem interested in Fluffy? Harry asked, trying to keep his voice calm. Well, yeah! How many three-headed dogs do you meet, even round Hogwarts? So I told him, Fluffy's a piece of cake if you know how to calm him down. Just play him a bit of music and he'll go right off to sleep. Hagrid suddenly looked horrified. I shouldn't have told you that, he blurted out. Forget how I said it. Hey, where are you going? Harry, Ron, and Hermione didn't speak to each other at all until they came to a halt in the entrance hall, which seemed very cold and gloomy after the grounds. We've got to go to Dumbledore said Harry. Hagrid told that stranger how to get past Fluffy, and it was either Snape or Voldemort under that cloak. It must have been easy, once he got Hagrid drunk. I just hope Dumbledore believes us. Forenzi might back us up if Bane doesn't stop him. Where's Dumbledore's office? They looked around, as if hoping to see a sign pointing them in the right direction. 
They had never been told where Dumbledore lived, nor did they know anyone who had been sent to see him. We'll just have to... Harry began, but a voice suddenly rang out across the hall. What are you three doing inside? It was Professor McGonagall, carrying a large pile of books. We want to see Professor Dumbledore, said Hermione. Rather bravely, Harry and Ron thought. See Professor Dumbledore? Professor McGonagall repeated, as though this was a very fishy sort of thing to want to do. Why? Harry swallowed. Now what? It's sort of secret, he said. But he wished at once he hadn't, because Professor McGonagall's nostrils flared. Professor Dumbledore left ten minutes ago, she said coldly. He received an urgent owl from the Ministry of Magic and flew off for London at once. He's gone, said Harry frantically. Now? Professor Dumbledore is a very great wizard, Potter. He has many demands on his time. But this is important. Something you have to say is more important than the Ministry of Magic, Potter. Look, said Harry, throwing caution to the winds. Professor, it's, it's about the Sorcerer's Stone. Whatever Professor McGonagall had expected, it wasn't that. The book she was carrying came tumbling out of her arms, but she didn't pick them up. How do you know? She spluttered. Professor, I think I know that someone is going to try and steal the stone. I've got to talk to Professor Dumbledore. She eyed him with a mixture of shock and suspicion. Professor Dumbledore will be back tomorrow, she said finally. I don't know how you found out about the stone, but rest assured, no one can possibly steal it. It's too well protected. But Professor, Potter, I know what I'm talking about, she said shortly. She bent down and gathered up the fallen books. I suggest you all go back outside and enjoy the sunshine. But they didn't. It's tonight, said Harry, once he was sure Professor McGonagall was out of earshot. Snape's going through the trapdoor tonight. He's found out everything he needs, and now he's got Dumbledore out of the way. He sent that note. I bet the Ministry of Magic gets a real shock when Dumbledore turns up. But what can we... Hermione gasped. Harry and Ron wheeled around. Snape was standing there. Good afternoon, he said smoothly. They stared at him. You shouldn't be inside on a day like this he said with an odd, twisted smile. We were... Harry began without any idea what he was going to say. You want to be more careful, said Snape. Hanging around like this, people will think you're up to something. And Gryffindor really can't afford to lose any more points, can it? Harry flushed. They turned to go outside, but Snape called them back. Be warned, Potter. Any more nighttime wanderings, and I will personally make sure you are expelled. Good day to you. He strode off in the direction of the staff room. Out in the stone steps, Harry turned to the others. Right, here's what we've got to do, he whispered urgently. One of us has got to keep an eye on Snape. Wait outside the staff room and follow him if he leaves it. Hermione, you'd better do that. Why me? It's obvious said Ron. You can pretend you're waiting for Professor Flitwick, you know. He put on a high voice. Oh, Professor Flitwick, I'm so worried. I think I got question 14B wrong. Oh, shut up, said Hermione. 
but she agreed to go and watch out for Snape. And we better stay outside the third floor corridor, Harry told Ron. Come on. But that part of the plan didn't work. No sooner had they reached the door separating Fluffy from the rest of the school, and Professor McGonagall turned up again, and this time she lost her temper. I suppose you think you're harder to get past than a pack of enchantments, she stormed. Enough of this nonsense. If I hear you've come anywhere near here again, I'll take another fifty points from Gryffindor. Yes, Weasley, from my own house. Harry and Ron went back to the common room. Harry had just said, At least Hermione's on Snape's tail, when the portrait of the fat lady swung open and Hermione came in. Oh, I'm sorry, Harry! She wailed. Snape came out and asked me what I was doing, so I said I was waiting for Flitwick, and Snape went to get him, and I've only just got away. I don't know where Snape went. Well, that's it then, isn't it? said Ron. They stared at one another. Harry was pale, and his eyes were glittering. I'm going out of here tonight, and I'm going to try and get the stone first. You're mad, said Ron. You can't, said Hermione. After what McGonagall and Snape have said? You'll be expelled. So what? Harry shouted. Don't you understand? If Snape gets a hold of the stone, Voldemort is coming back. Haven't you heard what it was like when he was trying to take over? There won't be any Hogwarts to get expelled from. He'll flatten it or turn it into a school for the dark arts. Losing points doesn't matter anymore, can't you see? You think he'll leave you and your families alone if Gryffindor wins the House Cup? If I get caught before I can get the stone, well, I'll have to go back to the Dursleys and wait for Voldemort to find me there. It's only dying a bit later than I would have, because I'm never going back to the dark side. Because I'm never going to the dark side. I'm going through that trapdoor tonight, and nothing you two can say will stop me. Voldemort killed my parents, remember? He glared at them. You're right, Harry, said Hermione in a small voice. I'll use the invisibility cloak, said Harry. It's just lucky I got it back. Will it cover all three of us? said Ron. All. all three of us? <laughs> Come off it, you don't think we're going to let you go alone? Of course not, said Hermione briskly. How do you think you'd get this stone without us? I'd better go and look through my books, there might be something useful. But if we get caught, you two will be expelled too. Oh, not if I can help it, said Hermione grimly. Flitwick told me in secret that I got a hundred and twelve percent on his exam. They're not throwing me out after that. After dinner, the three of them sat nervously apart, in the common room. Nobody bothered them. None of the Gryffindors had anything to say to Harry anymore, after all. This was the first night he hadn't been upset by it. Hermione was skimming through all of her notes, hoping to come across one of the enchantments that they were about to try to break. Harry and Ron didn't talk much. Both of them were thinking about what they were about to do. Slowly, the room emptied as people drifted off to bed. Better get the cloak, Ron muttered, as Lee Jordan finally left, stretching and yawning. Harry ran upstairs to their dark dormitory. He pulled out the cloak, and then his eyes fell on the flute Hagrid had given him for Christmas. He pocketed it to use on Fluffy. He didn't much feel like singing. He ran back down to the common room. We'd better put the cloak on here, and make sure it covers all of us. If Filch spots one of our feet wandering along on its own. 
What are you doing? said a voice from the corner of the room. Neville appeared from behind an armchair, clutching Trevor the Toad, who looked as though he'd been making another bid for freedom. Nothing, Neville, nothing, said Harry, hurriedly putting the cloak behind his back. Neville stared at their guilty faces. You're going out again, he said. No, 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 said Hermione. No, we're not. Why don't you go to bed, Neville? Harry looked at the grandfather clock by the door. They couldn't afford to waste any more time. Snape might now even be playing Fluffy to sleep. You can't go out, said Neville. You'll be caught again. Gryffindor will be even more in trouble. You don't understand, said Harry. This is important. But Neville was clearly steeling himself to do something desperate. I won't let you do it, he said. Psst hurrying to stand in front of the portrait hole. I'll... I'll fight you! Neville! Ron exploded. Get away from that hole and don't be an idiot! Don't you call me an idiot, said Neville. I don't think you should be breaking any more rules. And you were the ones who told me to stand up to people. Yes, but not to us, said Ron in exasperation. Neville, you don't know what you're doing. He took a step forward, and Neville dropped Trevor the Toad, who leapt out of sight. "'Go on, then. Try that me,' said Neville, raising his fists. "'I'm ready!' Harry turned to Hermione. "'Do something,' he said desperately. Hermione stepped forward. "'Neville,' she said, "'I'm really, really sorry about this.' She raised her wand. "'Petrificus Totalus!' she cried, pointing it at Neville. Neville's arms snapped to his side. His legs... Hmm, <laughs> his legs sprang together. His whole body went rigid. He swayed where he stood and then fell flat on his face, stiff as a board. Hermione ran to turn him over. Neville's jaws were jammed together so he couldn't speak. Only his eyes were moving, looking at them in horror. What have you done to him? Harry whispered. It's the full body bind said Hermione miserably. Oh, Neville, I'm so sorry. We had to, Neville. There's no time to explain, said Harry. You'll understand later, Neville, said Ron as they stepped over him and pulled on the invisibility cloak. But leaving Neville motionless, lying on the floor, didn't feel like a very good omen. In their nervous state, every statue's shadow looked like filch. Every distant breath of wind sounded like peeves swooping down on them. At the foot of the first set of stairs, they spotted Mrs. Norris skulking near the top. Oh, let's kick her. Just this once, Ron whispered in Harry's ear, but Harry shook his head. As they climbed carefully around her, Mrs. Norris turned her lamp-like eyes on them, but didn't do anything. They didn't meet anyone else until they reached the staircase to the third floor. Peeves was bobbing halfway up, loosening the carpet so that people would trip. Who's there? he said suddenly as they climbed toward him. He narrowed his wicked black eyes. No, you're there, even if I can't see you. Are you ghouly or ghosty or wee student beasties? He rose up in the air and floated there, squinting at them. I should call Filch, I should. If something's creeping around unseen. Harry had a sudden idea. Peeves, 
he said in a hoarse whisper. A bloody baron has his own reasons for being invisible. Peeves almost fell out of the air in shock. He caught himself in time and hovered about a foot off the stairs. Sorry, your bloodiness, Mr. Baron, sir, he said greasily. A mistake, my mistake, I didn't see you. <laughs> of course I didn't, you're invisible. Forgive old Peeves's little joke, sir. I have business here, Peeves, croaked Harry. Stay away from this place tonight. I will, sir, most certainly I will, said Peeves, rising up in the air again. Hope your business goes well, Baron, I'll not bother you. And he scooted off. Brilliant, Harry, whispered Ron. A few seconds later, they were there, outside the third floor corridor, and the door was already ajar. Well, there you are, Harry said quietly. Snape's already got past Fluffy. Seeing the open door somehow seemed to impress upon all of them what was facing them. Underneath the cloak, Harry turned to the other two. If you want to go back, I won't blame you, he said. You can take the cloak. I won't need it now. <laughs> Don't be stupid, said Ron. They're coming, said Hermione. Harry pushed the door open. As the door creaked, low, rumbling growls met their ears. All three of the dogs' noses sniffed madly in their direction, even though it couldn't see them. What's that at its feet? Hermione whispered. Looks like a harp, said Ron. Snape must have left it there. It must wake up the moment you stop playing, said Harry. Well, here goes. He put Hagrid's flute to his lips and blew it. It wasn't really a tune, but from the first note, the beast's eyes began to droop. Harry hardly drew breath. Slowly, the dog's growls ceased. It tottered on its paws and fell to its knees, and slumped to the ground, fast asleep. Keep playing, Ron warned Harry as they slipped out of the cloak and, and crept toward the trap door. They could feel the dog's hot, smelly breath as they approached the giant heads. I think we'll be able to get the door pulled open, said Ron, peering over the dog's back. You want to go first, Hermione? No, I don't. All right. Ron gritted his teeth and stepped carefully over the dog's legs. He bent and pulled the ring out of the trap door, which swung open. What can you see? Hermione said anxiously. Nothing. Just black. There's no way of climbing down, we'll have to drop. Harry, who was still playing the tune, waved at Ron to get his attention and pointed at himself. You want to go first? Are you sure? said Ron. I don't know how deep this thing goes. Give that flute to Hermione. See if she can get him to stay asleep. Harry handed the flute over. In the few seconds' silence, the dog growled and twitched, but the moment Hermione began to play, it fell back to deep sleep. Harry climbed over it and looked down through the trap door. There was no sign of the bottom. He lowered himself through the hole until he was hanging on by his fingertips, and he looked up at Ron and said, If anything happens to me, don't follow. Go straight to the Owlery and send Hedwig to Dumbledore, all right? 
Right, said Ron. I'll see you in a minute, I hope. And Harry let go. Cold, damp air rushed past him as he fell down, 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 and... Flump. <laughs> With a funny, muffled sort of thump, he landed on something soft. He sat up and felt around, his eyes not used to the gloom. It felt as though he was sitting on some sort of plant. It's okay, he called up to the light the size of a postage stamp, which was the open trap door. It's a soft landing. You can jump. Ron followed right away. He landed, sprawled next to Harry. What's this stuff? were his first words. I don't know, some sort of plant thing. I suppose it's here to break the fall. Come on, Hermione! The distant music stopped. There was a loud bark from the dog, but Hermione had already jumped. She landed on Harry's other side. We must be miles under the school, she said. Lucky this plant thing's here, really. Lucky, shrieked Hermione. Look at you both! She leapt up and struggled toward a damp wall. She had to struggle because the moment she had landed, the plant had started to twist snake-like tendrils around her ankles. As for Harry and Ron, their legs had already been bound tightly in long creepers without their noticing. Harry had managed to free himself... Mm, nope. Hermione had managed to free herself before the plant got a firm grip on her. Now she watched in horror as the two boys fought to pull the plant off them. But the more they strained against it, the tighter and faster the plant wound round them. Stop moving! Hermione ordered them. I know what this is. It's Devil's Snare. Oh, I'm so glad we know what it's called. That's a great help, snarled Ron, leaning back, trying to stop the plant from curling around his neck. Shut up! I'm trying to remember how to kill it, said Hermione. Well, hurry up! I can't breathe, Harry gasped, wrestling with it as it curled around his chest. Oh, Devil's Snare! Devil's Snare! What did Professor Sprout say? It likes the dark and the damp? So light a fire! Harry choked. Yes, of course, but there's no wood! Hermione cried, wringing her hands. Have you gone mad? Ron bellowed. Are you a witch or not? Oh, right! said Hermione, and she whipped out her wand, waved it, muttered something, and set a jet of the same bluebell flames she had used on Snape at the plant. In a matter of seconds, the two boys felt it loosening its grip, and it cringed away from the light and the warmth. Wriggling and flailing, it unraveled itself from their bodies, and they were able to pull free. Lucky you pay attention in herbology, Hermione, said Harry, as he joined her by the wall, wiping sweat off his face. <laughs> yeah, said Ron. And lucky Harry doesn't lose his head in a crisis. There's no wood, honestly. This way, said Harry, pointing down a stone passageway, which was the only way forward. All they could hear, apart from their footsteps, was the gentle drip of water trickling down the walls. The passageway sloped downward, and Harry was reminded of Gringotts. With an unpleasant jolt of his heart, he remembered the dragons said to be guarding the vaults in the wizard's bank. They met a dragon. A fully grown dragon? <sighs> Norbert had been bad enough. Can you hear something? Ron whispered. Harry listened. A soft rustling and clinking seemed to be coming from up ahead. You think it's a ghost? I don't know. Sounds like wings to me. 
There's light ahead. I can see something moving. They reached the end of the passageway and saw before them a brightly lit chamber, its ceiling arched high above them. It was full of small, jewel-bright birds, fluttering and tumbling all around the room. On the opposite side of the chamber was a heavy wooden door. Do you think they'll attack us if we cross the room? said Ron. Probably, said Harry. They don't look very vicious, but I suppose if they'll swoop down at once... Well, there's no other choice. I'll run. He took a deep breath, covered his face with his arms, and sprinted across the room. He expected to feel sharp beaks and claws tearing into him at any second, but nothing happened. He reached the door untouched. He pulled the handle, but it was locked. The other two followed him. They tugged and heaved at the door, but it wouldn't budge. Not even when Hermione tried her Alomahora charm. Well, now what? said Ron. These birds. They can't just be here for decoration, said Hermione. They watched the birds soaring overhead, glittering. Glittering? They're not birds, said Harry. They're keys. Winged keys. Look carefully. So that must mean... He looked around the chamber while the other two squinted up at the flock of keys. Yes, look! Broomsticks! We've got to catch the key to the door! But there are hundreds of them! Ron examined the lock on the door. We're looking for a big, old-fashioned one. Probably silver like the handle. They each seized a broomstick and kicked off into the air, soaring into the midst of the cloud of keys. They grabbed and snatched, but the bewitched keys darted and dived so quickly it was almost impossible to catch one. Not for nothing, though, was Harry the youngest seeker in a century. He had a knack for spotting things other people didn't. After a minute's weaving about through the whirl of rainbow feathers, he noticed a large silvery key that had a bent wing, as if it had already been caught and stuffed roughly into the keyhole. That one, he called to the others. That big one there. No, there, with the bright blue wings. The feathers are all crumpled up on one side. Ron went speeding in the direction that Harry was pointing, crashed into the ceiling, and nearly fell off of his broom. We've got to close in on it, Harry called, not taking his eyes off the key with the damaged wing. Ron, you come at it from above. Hermione, stay below and stop it from going down. I'll try to catch it. Right. Now! Ron dived. Hermione rocketed upward. The key dodged them both, and Harry streaked after it. It sped toward the wall. Harry leaned in forward and with a nasty crunching noise, pinned it against the stone with one hand. Ron and Hermione's cheers echoed throughout the high chamber. He landed quickly, and Harry ran to the door, the key struggling in his hand. He rammed it into the lock and turned. It worked. The moment the lock had clicked open, the key took flight again, looking very battered now that it had been caught twice. Ready? Harry asked the other two his hand on the door handle. He nodded. He pulled the door open. The next chamber was so dark they couldn't see anything at all. But as they stepped into it, light suddenly flooded into the room to reveal an astonishing sight. They were standing on the edge of a huge chessboard, behind the black chessmen, which were all taller than they were and carved from what looked like black stone. Facing them, way across the chamber, were the white pieces. Harry, Ron, and Hermione shivered slightly. The towering white chessmen had no faces. 
Now what do we do? Harry whispered. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? said Ron. We've got to play our way across the room. Behind the white pieces, they could see another door. How? said Hermione nervously. I think, said Ron, we're going to have to be chessmen. He walked up to a black knight and put his hand out to touch the knight's horse. At once, the stone sprang to life. The horse pawed the ground, and the knight turned his helmeted head to look down at Ron. Do we, uh, have to join you to get across? The black knight nodded. Ron turned to the other two. Oh, this needs thinking about, he said. I suppose we've got to take the place of the th- mm, three of the black pieces? Harry and Hermione stayed quiet, watching Ron think. Finally, he said, No, don't be offended at anything, but neither of you are that good at chess. We're not offended, said Harry quickly. Just tell us what you want to do. Right, Harry, you take the place of that bishop, and Hermione, you go there instead of that castle. What about you? I'm going to be a knight, said Ron. The chessmen seemed to have been listening because at these words, a knight, a bishop, and a castle turned their backs on the white pieces and walked off the board, leaving three empty squares that Harry, Ron, and Hermione took. Why always plays first in chess? said Ron, peering across the board. Yet, yeah, look. A white pawn had moved forward two spaces. Ron started to direct the black pieces. They moved silently wherever he sent them. Harry's knees were trembling. What if they lost? Harry, move diagonally four squares to the right. Their first real shot came when the other knight was taken. The White Queen smashed him to the floor and dragged him off the board, where he lay quite still, face down. I had to let that happen, said Ron, looking shaken. Leaves you free to take that bishop, Hermione. Go on. Every time one of their men was lost, the white pieces showed no mercy. Soon there was a huddle of limp black players slumped against the wall. Twice, Ron only just noticed in time that Harry and Hermione were in danger. He himself darted around the board, taking almost as many white pieces as they had lost black ones. We're nearly there, he muttered suddenly. Let me think, let me think. The White Queen turned her blank face toward him. Yes, said Ron softly. It's the only way. I've got to be taken. No! Hermione and Harry shouted at once. That's chess, snapped Ron. You've got to make some sacrifices. I'll make my move. She'll take me. That leaves you free to checkmate the king, Harry. But do you want to stop Snape or not? Ron! Look, if you don't hurry up, he'll already have the stone. There was no alternative. Ready? Ron called, his face pale but determined. Here I go. Now don't hang around once you've won. He stepped forward, and the White Queen pounced. She struck Ron hard across the head with her stone arm, and he crashed to the floor. Hermione screamed, but stayed on her square. The White Queen dragged Ron to one side. It looked as if he'd been knocked out. Shaking, 
Harry moved three spaces to the left. The White King took off his crown and threw it at Harry's feet. They had won. The chessmen parted and bowed, leaving the door clear ahead. With one last desperate look back at Ron, Harry and Hermione charged through the door and up to the next passageway. What if he's... He'll be all right, said Harry, trying to convince himself. What do you reckon's next? All right, we've had sprouts. That was the devil's snare. Flitwick must have put the charms on the keys. McGonagall transfigured the chessmen to make them alive. That leaves Quirrell's spell. And Snape's. They had reached another door. All right, Harry whispered. Go on. Harry pushed it open. A disgusting smell filled their nostrils, making both of them pull their robes up over their noses. Eyes watering, they saw, flat on the floor in front of them, a troll even larger than the one they had tackled, out cold with a bloody lump on its head. I'm glad we don't have to fight that one, Harry whispered as they carefully stepped over one of its massive legs. Come on, I I can't breathe. He pulled open the next door, both of them hardly daring to look at what came next. But there was nothing very frightening in there, just a table, with seven differently shaped bottles standing in a line. Snipes, said Harry. What do we have to do? They stepped over the threshold, and immediately a fire sprang up behind them in the doorway. It wasn't ordinary fire, either. It was purple. At the same instant, black flames shot up in the doorway leading onward. They were trapped. Hermione sees the roll of paper lying next to the bottles. Harry looked over her shoulder to read it. Danger lies before you while safety lies behind. Two of us will help you, whichever you would find. One amongst us seven will let you move ahead. Another will transport the drinker back instead. Two among our number hold only nettle wine. Three of us are killers, waiting hidden in line. Choose unless you wish to stay here forevermore. To help you in your choice, we give you these clues four. First, however slyly the poison tries to hide, you will always find some on Nettlewine's left side. Second, different are those who stand out either end. But if you would move onward, neither is your friend. Third, as you see clearly, all are different size. Neither dwarf nor giant holds death on their insides. Fourth, the second left and the second on the right are twins once you taste them though different at first sight. Hermione let out a great sigh, and Harry, amazed, saw that she was smiling. The very last thing he felt like doing. Brilliant, said Hermione. This isn't magic, it's logic. A puzzle. A lot of the greatest wizards haven't gotten out of logic. They'd be stuck in here forever. Well, so will we, won't we? Of course not, said Hermione. Everything we need is here on this paper. Seven bottles. Three are poison, two are wine, one of us will get safely through the black fire, and one of us will get back through the purple. But how do we know which to drink? Give me a minute. Hermione read the paper several times. Then she walked up and down the line of bottles, muttering to herself and pointing at them. At last she clapped her hands. Got it, she said. The smallest bottle will get us through the black fire, towards the stone. Harry looked at the tiny bottle. 
There's only enough for one of us, he said. That's hardly one swallow. They looked at each other. Which one will get you back through the purple flames? Hermione pointed at a round bottle at the right end of the line. You drink that, Harry said. Now listen, get back and get Ron. Grab brooms from the flying key room. They'll get you out of the trapdoor and past Fluffy. Go straight to the Allery and send Hedwig to Dumbledore. We need him. I might be able to hold Snape off for a while, but I'm no match for him, really. But, Harry, what if you know who's with him? Well, I was lucky once, wasn't I? said Harry, pointing at his scar. I might get lucky again. Hermione's lip trembled, and she suddenly dashed at Harry and threw her arms around him. Hermione! Harry, you're a great wizard, you know! <laughs> I'm not as good as you, said Harry, very embarrassed as she let go of him. Me? said Hermione. Books and cleverness. There are more important things. Friendship and bravery and... Oh, Harry, be careful! You drink first, said Harry. You are sure which is which, aren't you? Positive, said Hermione. She took a long drink from the round bottle at the end and shuddered. It's not poison, said Harry anxiously. No, it, like ice. All right, quick. Go on before it wears off. Good luck. Take care. Go! Hermione turned and walked straight through the purple fire. <sighs> Harry took a deep breath and picked up the smallest bottle. He turned to face the black flames. Here I come, he said, and he drained the little bottle in one gulp. It was indeed as though ice had flooded his body. He put the bottle down and walked forward. He braced himself, all the black flames licking his body, but couldn't feel them. For a moment, he could see nothing but dark fire. Then he was on the other side, in the last chamber. There was already someone there, but it wasn't Snape. It wasn't even Voldemort. That is the end of our first chapter for tonight. Chapter 16. We're so close. We're so close, wonderful people! This has been an incredible adventure, and uh, now we are at the very heart of it. We didn't know for the longest time what was everyone chasing, what was everyone looking for, what, was, what were people trying to protect, and now, now we know. Got the Sorcerer's Stone, we know where it's hidden, we know who's going after it. And Harry rushes into the room, and he doesn't see the people he's expecting to see, but someone is there. We don't know who yet. We're going to know in, um, I'm guessing about 15 minutes. I'm going to take a, and it'll be less than that. It'll be probably 10 minutes because I'm going to take a five-minute break. But before that, we are going to talk about this last chapter. If you've got any questions, comments, concerns about uh, any characters that we've met, any of the exciting developments of this most recent chapter, go ahead and put them in the chat, and I'll talk about them. Rachel asks, what's the difference between wizard's chess and our chess? The difference is that the chess pieces are alive. Um, you direct them more like a general than uh, like they're, uh, you know, little pieces on a board. They're alive, and they beat the heck out of each other when uh, one piece takes another. 
which is interesting. I always wondered when I was uh, initially reading this, if you had, you know, an even matchup between a, a pawn and a pawn, for instance. So when you take a pawn with a pawn, I kind of wondered, would they fight? And it, you know, the taking piece wouldn't necessarily win the battle. It seems like it could add an interesting dynamic if, you know, you've got two pawns together and one of the pawns is a better fighter and more experienced, then that would be the winning pawn, even though it wasn't the taking pawn. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting idea. Um, so yeah, that was one of the big challenges. Um, I like this system. We, we get to see kind of the specialties of a lot of the professors at Hogwarts. We've seen Professor Sprout. She is in charge of herbology. And so the uh, devil snare trap, that was her doing. Um, Professor Flitwick would have charmed the keys to fly. Professor McGonagall with her giant chess pieces. She's the uh, transfiguration teacher. And uh, we saw a troll and some bottles. And I think we can guess where the bottles came from. The troll's an interesting one, though, isn't it? That's a little odd. Seems like kind of a, a dark art sort of affiliation, I guess, but it's not, I don't know, it's a troll. It seems like more Hagrid's purview than, than the, uh, than Quirrell's. Anyway, um, it's been fantastic. I'm going to take a quick break. It'll be less than five minutes, and then I will come back. We'll do a quick summary of what we found out in that last chapter, and then we're going to start on the final chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. Guys, I am so excited. I am so excited. It's been wonderful. All right. Everybody take a, take a moment to relax. Thank you all for being here. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And uh, if you've got any questions, comments, or concerns about what we just read or anything coming up, go ahead and put it in the chat. We'll talk about it in a second, as soon as I get back. All right. Bye-bye. Hello, wonderful people. Welcome back. This is Sidecar Stories. My name is Sam. And... We are about to embark on the final chapter, the first book of Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The chapter is The Man with Two Faces, chapter 17. First, I'm going to go into a quick summary of what we saw last chapter. For those of you who are joining in late, or anybody who just didn't quite get it, because I think we had a technical issue there in the middle, it's all good. All right, so... It started with Harry having a realization... They're in the middle of their exams, you know, his scar has been hurting, he just feels like something's about to happen. He realizes, Hagrid had a weird conversation with a guy selling a dragon. It was a little bit too coincidental, so he rushes down, talks to Hagrid. Turns out Hagrid revealed some secrets about Fluffy, the three-headed dog who is guarding the trap door to reach the Sorcerer's Stone. So somebody's got a clue. They're very suspicious of Snape. And uh, then they have a very sort of strange conversation with Snape in which he says he will make personally sure that they are expelled if they get up into any more midnight hijinks. Basically, they're sold that he is going to go after the Sorcerer's Stone. So, they develop a plan to keep track of him. plan doesn't work. 
They lose track of him. Harry decides the only way to prevent Voldemort from getting the Sorcerer's Stone is to get the Sorcerer's Stone himself first. So Harry decides to go after it. Of course, his excellent friends, Ron and Hermione, go with him. They get to the first I, I, trap, defense. We'll call them defenses. Get to the first defense, Fluffy, Hagrid's defense. He let it slip to play music. They play music and get past him. They get to the second defense, Professor Sprout. She has set up the Devil's Snare, which are vines that tangle around you. And uh, after a very tense moment, Hermione defeats them with some of her excellent book learning. People talk about street smarts a lot, but book learning, it can get you out of some pretty tight spots. It's good to keep track of. I don't think there are many people who can get by on street smarts alone. Get your book learning on. Um, all right, after that, some flying keys. That was a Flitwick joint. Catch the flying key. They got past a giant troll, which was already knocked out when they got there. Clearly, somebody, they're pretty sure it's Snape, is right in front of them. They're just, they're hot on Snape's tail. They rush into the next room. It's uh, Professor McGonagall's defense, giant chessboard. This is where they lose one of their trio because Ron has to sacrifice himself in order for them to proceed. He gets knocked on the head by a giant chess piece, but Harry and Hermione are able to proceed forward. The final defense is Snape's. He's the potions teacher. It's a collection of potions, and it is not a test of spells. It's a test of logic. Hermione, obviously, kicks its butt almost immediately, and they advance into the final room. Except not both of them. Only Harry is able to move forward because there's only enough potion in the bottle to get Harry through the black fire that separates the final defense from the, uh, the room. Apparently containing the sorcerer's stone. Harry goes forward. He tells Hermione, fetch Ron, and then go get Dumbledore. Find a way to contact him. Harry decides he's going to proceed into the final room and see if he can hold Snape off long enough for them to get help. Alright, that's where we're at. Even as I'm reading, feel free to jump into the chat. Give yourself a chance to uh, talk through any of your questions, comments, concerns. I would love to talk about it. I love that sort of thing. It's, you know, I'd say a pretty even half of the reason I do this. One half is because I love to perform, love doing the voices, and the other half is because I love talking about stories. It's my absolute favorite thing. My favorite classes were all literature classes. All right. We're going to get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, for anybody who doesn't know, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and afterwards, you can jump in to the discussion. We, we continue from the chat. Um on my Instagram. That's where I do most of my updates, at Sidecar Stories. I'll see you there. Okay, here we go. Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. It was Quarrel. You! gasped Harry. Quirrell smiled. His face wasn't twitching at all. Me, he said calmly. I wondered whether I'd be meeting you here, Potter. 
But I thought Snape Severus Quirrell laughed. And it wasn't his usual quivering treble either, but cold and sharp. Yes, Severus does seem the type, doesn't he? So useful to have him swooping around like an overgrown bat. Next to him, who would suspect poor stuttering Professor Quirrell? Harry couldn't take it in. This couldn't be true. It couldn't. But Snape tried to kill me. No, no, no. I tried to kill you. Your friend Miss Granger accidentally knocked me over as she was rushing to set fire to Snape at that Quidditch match. She broke eye contact with you. She broke my eye contact with you. Another few seconds and I'd have got you off that broom. I'd have managed it before then if Snape hadn't been muttering a counter-curse trying to save you. Snape was trying to save me? Of course, said Quirrell coolly. Why do you think he wanted to referee your next match? He was trying to make sure I didn't do it again. Funny, really. He needn't have bothered. I couldn't do anything with Dumbledore watching. All the other teachers thought Snape was trying to stop Gryffindor from winning. He did make himself unpopular, and what a waste of time when, after all that, I'm going to kill you tonight. Quirrell snapped his fingers. Ropes sprang out of thin air and wrapped themselves tightly around Harry. You're too nosy to live, Potter. Scurrying around the school on Halloween like that, for all I knew you'd seen me coming to look at what was guarding the stone. You let the troll in? Uh, certainly, I have a, a special gift with trolls. You must have seen what I did to the one in the chamber back there. Unfortunately, while everyone else was running around looking for it, Snape, who already suspected me, went straight to the third floor to head me off. And not only did my troll fail to beat you to death, that three-headed dog didn't even manage to bite Snape's leg off properly. Now wait quietly, Potter. I need to examine this interesting mirror. It was only then that Harry realized what was standing behind the quarrel. It was the mirror of Erised. This mirror is the key to finding the stone, Quirrell murmured, tapping his way around the frame. Trust Dumbledore to come up with something like this. But he's in London. I'll be far away by the time he gets back. All Harry could think of doing was to keep Quirrell talking and stop him from concentrating on the mirror. I saw you and Snape in the forest, he blurted out. Yes, said Quirrell idly, walking around the frame to look at the back. He was on to me by that time, trying to figure out how far I'd got. He suspected me all along, tried to frighten me. As though he could when I had Lord Voldemort on my side. Quirrell came back out from behind the mirror and stared hungrily into it. I see the stone. I'm presenting it to my master, but where is it? Harry struggled against the ropes binding him, but they didn't give. He had to keep Quirrell from giving his whole attention to the mirror. Snape always seemed to hate me so much. Oh, yes, he does, said Quirrell casually. Oh, heavens, yes. He was at Hogwarts with your father, didn't you know? They loathed each other. But he never wanted you dead. But I heard you a few days ago, sobbing. I thought Snape was threatening you. For the first time, a spasm of fear flitted across Quirrell's face. Sometimes, he said, I find it hard to follow my master's instructions. He is a great wizard, and I am weak. You mean he was there in the classroom with you? Harry gasped. He is with me wherever I go, said Quirrell quietly. I met him 
when I travelled round the world. A foolish young man I was then, full of ridiculous ideas about good and evil. Lord Voldemort showed me how wrong I was. There is no good and evil, there is only power, and those too weak to seek it. Since then I have served him faithfully, although I have let him down many times. He has had to be very hard on me. Quarrel shivered suddenly. He does not forgive mistakes easily. When I failed to steal the stone from Gringotts, he was most displeased. He punished me. Decided he would have to keep a closer watch on me. Quarrel's voice trailed away. Harry was remembering his trip to Diagon Alley. How could he have been so stupid? He'd seen Quirrell there that very day, shaking hands with him in the Leaky Cauldron. Quirrell cursed under his breath. I don't, I don't understand. Is the stone inside the mirror? Should I break it? Harry's mind was racing. What I want more than anything else in the world at this moment, he thought, is to find the stone before Quirrell does. So if I look into the mirror, I should see myself finding it, which means I'll see where it's hidden. But how can I look without Quirrell realizing what I'm up to? He tried to edge to the left, to get in front of the glass without Quirrell noticing, but the ropes around his ankles were too tight. He tripped and fell over. Quirrell ignored him. He was still talking to himself. What does this mirror do? How does it work? Help me, master. And to Harry's horror, a voice answered, and the voice seemed to come from Quirrell himself. Use the boy! Use the boy! Quirrell rounded on Harry. Yes, Potter, come here. He clapped his hands once, and the ropes binding Harry fell off. Harry got slowly to his feet. Come here, Quirrell repeated. Look in the mirror and tell me what you see. Harry walked toward him. I must lie, he thought desperately. I must look and lie about what I see, that's all. Quirrell moved close behind him. Harry breathed in the funny smell that seemed to come from Quirrell's turban. He closed his eyes, stepped in front of the mirror, and opened them. He saw his reflection, pale and scared-looking at first. But a moment later, the reflection smiled at him. He put his hand into his pocket and pulled out a blood-red stone. The reflection winked and put the stone back in its pocket, and as it did so, Harry felt something heavy drop into his real pocket. Somehow, incredibly, he'd gotten the stone. Well, said Quirrell, impatiently, what do you see? Harry screwed up his courage. I see myself shaking hands with Dumbledore, he invented. I... I've won the House Cup. For Gryffindor. Quirrell cursed again. Get out of the way, he said. As Harry moved aside, he felt the Sorcerer's Stone against his leg. Dare he make a break for it? But he hadn't walked five paces before a high voice spoke, though Quirrell wasn't moving his lips. He lies! He lies! Uh, Potter, come back here! Quirrell shouted. Tell me the truth. What did you just see? The high voice spoke again. Let me speak to him. Face to face. 
Master, you, you're not strong enough. I have strength enough for this. Harry felt as if Devil's Snare was rooting him to the spot. He couldn't move a muscle. Petrified, he watched as Quirrell reached up and began to unwrap his turban. What was going on? The turban fell away. Quirrell's head looked strangely small without it. Then he turned slowly on the spot. Harry would have screamed, but he couldn't make a sound. Where there should have been a back to Quirrell's head, there was a face. The most terrible face Harry had ever seen. It was chalk-white with glaring red eyes and slits for nostrils, like a snake. Harry Potter, it whispered. Harry tried to take a step backward, but his legs wouldn't move. You see what I have become, the face said. Me a shadow and vapor. I have form only when I can share another's body. But there have always been those willing to let me into their hearts and minds. Unicorn blood has strengthened me these past weeks. You saw faithful Quirrell drinking it for me in the forest. And once I have the elixir of life, I'll be able to create a body of my own. Now why don't you give me that stone in your pocket? Though he knew. The feeling suddenly surged back into Harry's legs. He stumbled backward. Don't be a fool, snarled the face. Better save your own life and join me, or you'll meet the same end as your parents. They died begging for you, begging me for mercy. Liar, Harry shouted suddenly. Quarrel was walking backward at him so that Voldemort could still see him. The evil face was now smiling. How touching, it hissed. I always value bravery. Yes, boy, your parents were brave. I killed your father first, then he put up a courageous fight, but your mother needn't have died. She was trying to protect you. Now give me the stone unless you want her to have died in vain. Never! Harry sprang toward the flame door, but Voldemort screamed, Seize him! And the next second, Harry felt Quirrell's hand close on his wrist. At once, a needle-sharp pain seared across Harry's scar. His head felt as though it was about to split into two. He yelled, struggling with all his might, and to his surprise, Quirrell let go of him. The pain in his head lessened. He looked around wildly to see where Quirrell had gone and saw him hunched in pain, looking at his fingers. They were blistering before his eyes. Seize him! Seize him! shrieked Voldemort again, and Quirrell lunged, knocking Harry clean off his feet, standing on top of him, both hands around Harry's neck. Harry's scar was almost blinding him with pain, yet he could see Quirrell howling in agony. Master, I cannot hold him! My hands! My hands! And Quirrell, though pinning Harry to the ground with his knees, let go of his neck and stared, bewildered, at his own palms. Harry could see they looked burned, raw, red, and shiny. Then kill him, fool, and be done! screeched Voldemort. Quirrell raised his hands to perform a deadly curse, but Harry, by instinct, reached up and grabs Quirrell's face. <coughs> Quirrell rolled off of him, his face blistering, too, and then Harry knew. Quirrell couldn't touch his bare skin, not without suffering terrible pain. His only chance was to keep hold of Quirrell, keep him in enough pain to stop him from doing a curse. 
Harry jumped to his feet, caught Coral by the arm, and hung on as tight as he could. Coral screamed and tried to throw Harry off. The pain in Harry's head was building. He couldn't see. He could only hear Quarrel's terrible shrieks and Voldemort's yells of, Kill him! Kill him! And other voices, maybe in Harry's own head, crying, Harry! 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 He felt Quarrel's arm wrenched from his grasp, knew that all was lost, and fell into blackness. Down, down, down. Something gold was glinting just above him. The snitch. He tried to catch it, but his arms were too heavy. He blinked. It wasn't the snitch at all. It was a pair of glasses. How strange. He blinked again. The smiling face of Albus Dumbledore swam into view above him. Good afternoon, Harry, said Dumbledore. Harry stared at him. Then he remembered. Sir, the stone! It oh, it was Quirrell! He got the stone! Sir, quick! Calm yourself, dear boy. You are a little behind the times, said Dumbledore. Quirrell does not have the stone. Then who does? Sir, I... Harry, please relax, or Madame Pomfrey will have me thrown out. Harry swallowed and looked around him. He realized he must be in the hospital wing. He was lying in a bed with white linen sheets, and next to him was a table piled high with what looked like half the candy shop. Tokens from your friends and admirers, said Dumbledore, beaming. What happened down in the dungeons between you and... Professor Quirrell is a complete secret, so, naturally, the entire school knows. I believe your friends, Mrs. Fred and George Weasley, were responsible for trying to send you a toilet seat. No doubt they thought it would amuse you. Madame Pomfrey, however, thought it might not be very hygienic and confiscated it. How long have I been in here? Three days. Mr. Ronald Weasley and Miss Granger will be most relieved that you have come round. They've been extremely worried. But, well, sir, the, the stone... I see you are not to be distracted. Very well, the stone. Uh, Professor Quirrell did not manage to take it from you. I arrived in time to prevent that, though you were doing very well on your own, I must say. You got there? You got Hermione's owl? We must have crossed in mid-air. No sooner had I reached London than it became clear to me that the place I ought to be was the one I had just left. I arrived just in time to pull Quirrell off you. It was you. I feared I might be too late. You nearly were. I couldn't have kept him off the stone much longer. N not the stone, boy. You. The effort involved nearly killed you. For one terrible moment there, I was afraid that it had. As for the stone, it has been destroyed. Destroyed? said Harry blankly. But your friend, Nicholas Formel. Oh, you know about Nicholas, said Dumbledore, sounding quite delighted. 
you did do the thing properly, didn't you? Well, Nicholas and I have had a little chat, and agreed it's all for the best. But that means that he and his wife will die, won't they? They have enough elixir stored to set their affairs in order, and then, yes, they will die. Dumbledore smiled at the look of amazement on Harry's face. To one as young as you, I am sure that it seems incredible, but to Nicholas and Perronel, it really is like going to bed after a very long, very long day. After all, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. As much money and life as you could want. The two things most human beings would choose, above all. The trouble is... Humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. Harry lay there, lost for words. Dumbledore hummed a little and smiled at the ceiling. Sir, said Harry, I've been thinking, sir, even if the stone's gone, Vol- I mean, you know who. Call him Voldemort, Harry. Always use the proper name for things. Fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. Yes, sir. Well, Voldemort's going to try other ways of coming back, isn't he? I mean, he hasn't gone, has he? No, Harry, he has not. He's still out there somewhere, perhaps looking for another body to share. Not being truly alive, he cannot be killed. He left Quirrell to die. He shows just as little mercy to his followers as he does his enemies. Nevertheless, Harry, while you may only have delayed his return to power, it will merely take someone else who is prepared to fight what seems a losing battle next time. And if he is delayed again and again, why, he may never return to power. Harry nodded, but stopped quickly because it made his head hurt. Then he said, Sir... There are some other things I'd like to know, if you can tell me. Things I want to know the truth about. The truth, Dumbledore sighed, is a beautiful and terrible thing, and therefore should be treated with great caution. However, I shall answer your questions unless I have a very good reason not to, in which case I beg you'll forgive me. I shall not, of course, lie. Well... Voldemort said that he only killed my mother because she was trying to stop him from killing me. But why would he want to kill me in the first place? Dumbledore sighed very deeply this time. Alas, the first thing you ask me, I cannot tell you. Not today. Not now. You will know one day. Put it from your mind for now, Harry. When you're older... I know you hate to hear this. When you're ready, you will know. And Harry knew it would be no good to argue. But why couldn't Quirrell touch me? Your mother died to save you. If there is one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. He didn't realize that love is as powerful as any magic. You didn't realize love as powerful as your mother's, for you leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign. 
who have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved it is gone, it gives us some protection forever. It is in your very skin. Quarrel full of hatred, greed, and ambition, sharing his soul with Voldemort, could not touch you for this reason. It was agony to touch a person marked by something so good. Dumbledore now became very interested in a bird on the windowsill, which gave Harry time to dry his eyes on the sheet. When he had found his voice again, Harry said, And the invisibility cloak. Do you know who sent it to me? Ah, your father happened to leave it in my possession. And I thought you might like it. Dumbledore's eyes twinkled. Useful things. Your father used it mainly for sneaking off to the kitchens to steal food while he was here. And there's something else. Fire away. Quarrel and, and Snape. Professor Snape, Harry. Y yes, him. Quarrel said he hates me because he hated my father. Is that true? Well, they did rather detest each other, not unlike yourself and Mr. Malfoy. And then your father did something Snape could never forgive. What? He saved his life. What? Yes, said Dumbledore dreamily. Funny the way people's minds work, isn't it? Professor Snape couldn't bear being in your father's debt. I do believe he worked so hard to protect you this year because he felt that would make him and your father even, and he could go back to hating your father's memory in peace. Harry tried to understand this, but it made his head pound, so he stopped. And, and sir, there's one more thing. Just the one? How did I get the stone out of the mirror? Ah, now I'm glad you asked me that. It was one of my more brilliant ideas, and between you and me, that's saying something. You see, only one who wanted to find the stone, find it and not use it, would be able to get it, otherwise they'd just see themselves making gold or drinking elixir of life. My brain surprises even me sometimes. Now, enough questions. I suppose... You make a start on these sweets. Ah, Bertie bots every flavor beans. It was unfortunate. I was unfortunate enough in my youth to come across a vomit-flavored one, and since then I'm afraid I've rather lost my liking for them. But I think I'll be safe with a nice toffee. Don't you? He smiled and popped the golden-brown bean into his mouth. Then he choked and said, <coughs> Alas, earwax. Madame Pomfrey, the nurse, was a nice woman, but very strict. Just five minutes, Harry pleaded. Absolutely not. You let Professor Dumbledore in? Well, of course, that was the headmaster. Quite different. You need rest. I am resting. Look, I'm lying down and everything. Oh, go on, Madame Pomfrey. Very well, she said, but five minutes only. And she let Ron and Hermione in. Harry! Hermione looked ready to fling her arms around him again, but Harry was glad she held herself in this time, as his head was still very sore. Oh, Harry, we were sure you were going to... 
Dumbledore was so worried. The whole school's talking about it, said Ron. What really happened? It was one of those occasions when the true story is even more strange and exciting than the wild rumours. Harry told them everything. Quirrell, the mirror, the stone, and Voldemort. Ron and Hermione were a very good audience. They gasped in all the right places, and when Harry told them what was under Quirrell's turban... Hmm. Sometimes I say things wrong, and I'm not sure. I'm going to take that one again. And when Harry told them what was under Quirrell's turban, Hermione screamed out loud. So the stone's gone, said Ron finally. Flamel's just gonna die? That's what I said, but Dumbledore seems to think that... What was it? To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. I always said he was off his rocker, said Ron, looking quite impressed at how crazy his hero was. So what happened to you two? said Harry. Well, I got back all right, said Hermione. I put Ron... I put Ron round. That took a while, and we were dashing up the alley to contact Dumbledore when we met him in the entrance hall. He already knew. He just said, Harry's gone after him, hasn't he? And hurtled off to the third floor. Do you think that he meant you to do it? said Ron. Sending you your father's cloak and everything. Well, Hermione exploded. If he did, I mean to say that's... That's terrible! You could have been killed! No, it isn't, said Harry thoughtfully. He's a funny man, Dumbledore. I think he sort of wanted to give me a chance. I think he knows more or less everything that goes on here, you know. I reckon he had a pretty good idea we were going to try. And instead of stopping us, he just taught us enough to help. I don't think it was an accident. He let me find out how the mirror worked. It's almost like... He thought I had the right to face Voldemort if I could. <laughs> yeah, Dumbledore's off his rocker, all right, said Ryan proudly. Listen, you've got to be up for the end of the year feast tomorrow. The points are all in, and Slytherin won, of course. You missed the last Quidditch match. We were steamrolled by Ravenclaw without you. But the food will be good. At that moment, Madame Pomfrey bustled over. You've had nearly fifteen minutes out now. She said firmly. <laughs> That's a ridiculous voice. Uh, chapter break. After a good night's sleep, Harry felt nearly back to normal. I want to go to the feast, he told Madame Pomfrey as she straightened his many candy boxes. I can, can't I? Mm, Professor Dumbledore says you are to be allowed to go, she said sniffily as though in her opinion Professor Dumbledore didn't realize how risky feasts could be. And you have another visitor? Oh, good, said Harry. Who is it? Hagrid sidled to the door as he spoke. As usual, when he was indoors, Hagrid looked too big to be allowed. He sat down next to Harry, took one look at him, and burst into tears. It's all my ruddy fault! He sobbed, his face in his hands. I told the evil get out or get past Fluffy. I told him. It was the only thing he didn't know, and I told him. You could have died all for a dragon egg. I'll never drink again. I should be chucked out and made to live as a muggle. Hagrid, said Harry, shocked to see Hagrid shaking with grief and remorse, great tears leaking down into his beard. Hagrid, 
he'd have found out somehow, this is Voldemort we're talking about, he'd have found out even if you hadn't told him. You could have died, sobbed Hagrid. And don't say the name! Voldemort, Harry bellowed. And Hagrid was so shocked he stopped crying. I've met him, and I'm calling him by his name. Please cheer up, Hagrid. We saved the stone. It's gone. He can't use it. Have a chocolate frog. I've got loads. Hagrid wiped his nose on the back of his hand and said, Oh, that reminds me. I got you a present. It's not a stout sandwich, is it? Said Harry anxiously. But at last, Hagrid gave a weak chuckle. <laughs> nah. Dumbledore gave me the day off yesterday to fix it. Of course, he should have sacked me instead. Anyway, got you this. It seemed to be a handsome, leather-covered book. Harry opened it curiously. It was full of wizard photographs. Smiling and waving at them from every page were his mother and father. I sent owls off to all your parents' old school friends, asking for photos. I knew you didn't have any. Uh, do you like it? Harry couldn't speak, but Hagrid understood. Harry made his way down to the end-of-year feast alone that night. He had been held up by Madame Pomfrey fussing about, insisting on giving him one last checkup, so the great hall was already full. It was decked out in Slytherin's colors of green and silver to celebrate Slytherin's winning the House Cup for the seventh year in a row. A huge banner showing the Slytherin serpent covered the wall behind the high table. When Harry walked in, there was a sudden hush, and then everybody started talking loudly at once. He slipped into a seat between Ron and Hermione at the Gryffindor table and tried to ignore the fact that people were standing up to look at him. Fortunately, Dumbledore arrived moments later. The babble died away. Another year gone, said Dumbledore cheerfully, and I must trouble you with an old man's wheezing waffle before we sink our teeth into this delicious feast. What a year it has been! Hopefully your heads are all a little fuller than they were. You have the whole summer ahead to get them nice and empty before the next year starts. Now, as I understand it, the house cup here needs awarding, and the points stand thus. In fourth place, Gryffindor, with 312 points. In third, Hufflepuff, with 352. Ravenclaw has 426. And Slytherin, 472. A storm of cheering and stamping broke out from the Slytherin table. Harry could see Draco Malfoy banging his goblet on the table. It was a sickening sight. Yes, yes, well done, Slytherin, said Dumbledore. However, recent events must be taken into account. The room went very still. The Slytherin's smiles faded a little. <coughs> said Dumbledore. I have a few last-minute points to dish out. Let me see. Yes, first to Mr. Ronald Weasley. Ron went purple in the face. He looked like a radish with a bad sunburn. For the best game of chess in Hogwarts. For the best played game of chess Hogwarts has seen in many years, I award Gryffindor House fifty points. Gryffindor cheers nearly raised the bewitched ceiling. The stars overhead seemed to quiver. Percy could be heard telling the other prefects, That's my brother, you know. My youngest brother. Got past McGonagall's giant chess set.
At last there was silence again. Second to Miss Hermione Granger, for the use of cool logic in the face of fire, I award Gryffindor House fifty points. Hermione buried her face in her arms. Harry strongly suspected she had burst into tears. Gryffindors up and down the table were beside themselves. They were a hundred points up. Third to Mr. Harry Potter, said Dumbledore. The room went deadly quiet. For pure nerve and outstanding courage, I award Gryffindor House sixty points. The din was deafening. Those who could add up while yelling themselves hoarse knew that Gryffindor had now four hundred and seventy-two points, exactly the same as Slytherin. They had tied for the House Cup, if only Dumbledore had given Harry just one more point. Dumbledore raised his hand. The room gradually fell silent. There are all kinds of courage, said Dumbledore, smiling. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. I therefore award ten points to Mr. Neville Longbottom. Someone standing outside the Great Hall might well have thought some sort of explosion had taken the place, so loud was the noise that erupted from the Gryffindor table. Harry, Ron, and Hermione stood up to yell and cheer as Neville, white with shock, disappeared under a pile of people hugging him. He had never won so much as a point for Gryffindor before. Harry, still cheering, nudged Ron in the ribs and pointed at Malfoy, who couldn't have looked more stunned and horrified than if he had just had the body-bind curse put on him. Which means, Dumbledore called over the storm of applause, for even Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff were celebrating the downfall of Slytherin. We need a little change of decoration. He clapped his hands. In an instant, the green hangings became scarlet and the silver became gold. The huge Slytherin serpent vanished and a towering Gryffindor lion took its place. Snape was shaking Professor McGonagall's hand with a horrible, forced smile. He caught Harry's eye, and Harry knew at once that Snape's feelings toward him hadn't changed one jot. This didn't worry Harry. It seemed as though life would be back to normal next year, or at least as normal as it ever was at Hogwarts. It was the best evening of Harry's life. Better than winning at Quidditch, or Christmas, or knocking out mountain trolls. He would never, ever forget tonight. Harry had almost forgotten that the exam results were still to come, but come they did. To their surprise, both he and Ron passed with good marks. Hermione, of course, had the best grades of the first years. Even Neville scraped through, his good herbology mark making up for his abysmal potions one. They had hoped that Goyle, who was almost as stupid as he was mean, might be thrown out, but he had passed too. It was a shame, but as Ron said, you couldn't have everything in life. And suddenly, their wardrobes were empty. Their trunks were packed. Neville's toad was found lurking in a corner of the toilets. Notes were handed out to all the students, warning them not to use magic over the holidays. I always hope they'll forget to give us these, said Fred Weasley sadly. Hagrid was there to take them down to the fleet of boats that sailed across the lake. They were boarding the Hogwarts Express, talking and laughing as the countryside became greener and tidier eating birdie bots every flavor beans as they sped past muggle towns, pulling off their wizard robes and pulling on jackets and coats, 
pulling onto platform nine and three quarters at King's Cross Station. It took quite a while for them all to get off the platform. A wizened old guard was up by the ticket barrier, letting them go through the gate in twos and threes so they wouldn't attract attention by all bursting out of a solid wall at once and alarming the muggles. Oh, you must come and stay this summer, said Ron. Both of you, I'll send you an owl. Thanks, said Harry. I'll need something to look forward to. People jostled them as they moved forward toward the gate, back into the muggle world. Some of them called, Bye, Harry. See you, Potter. Still famous, said Ron, grinning at him. Not where I'm going, I promise you, said Harry. He, Ron, and Hermione passed through the gateway together. There he is, Mum. There he is. Look. It was Ginny Weasley, Ron's younger sister, but she wasn't pointing at Ron. Harry Potter, she squealed. Look, Mum, I can see... Be quiet, Ginny, it's rude to point. Mrs. Weasley smiled down at them. Busy year, she said. Very, said Harry. Thanks for the fudge and the sweater, Mrs. Weasley. Oh, it was nothing, dear. Ready, are you? It was Uncle Vernon. Still purple-faced, still mustached, still looking furious at the nerve of Harry carrying an owl in a cage in a station full of ordinary people. Behind him stood Aunt Petunia and Dudley, looking terrified at the very sight of Harry. "'You must be Harry's family,' said Mrs. Weasley. "'In a manner of speaking,' said Uncle Vernon. "'Hurry up, boy, we haven't got all day.' He walked away. Harry hung back for a last word with Ron and Hermione. See you over the summer, then? I hope you have a... a good, good holiday, said Hermione, looking uncertainly after Uncle Vernon, shocked that anyone could be so unpleasant. Oh, I will, said Harry, and they were surprised at the grin that was spreading over his face. They don't know we're not allowed to use magic at home. I'm going to have a lot of fun with Dudley this summer. Wonderful people, that is the end of book one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. It has been, it's been a dream. It's been a dream. I've loved it. I've been wanting to do some sort of reading aloud thing for a little while, and I'm very happy that I get to do it here. Get to try some of this interesting stuff with some of this live streaming software and setting up all these different scenes so you guys have something to look at while my voice goes on in the background. It's been an amazing ride. And uh, anyone else who has followed along, thank you so much. We're going to continue going. Next week, I'm going to start into book two, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I'm incredibly excited. I always loved starting a new book. It was a little, it's a little melancholy to end a book. But uh, we've got a new one ready for us. So I'm just going to go ahead and be excited instead. Tally-ho! Rachel says, on to the next book. Indeed. 
one week from today, same time, same place. Book two, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I already said that. It's fine. I'm just excited. I've had a really good time doing this. And uh, look at this. Look at this lovely gang here. Look at all of them. It's hard to find pictures with people at sort of their appropriate ages. Um, you know, a lot of the people in those pictures are portrayed there as slightly older than I think they are in the book that we're currently reading. The book that we just finished. Because we're awesome. And we finished a whole book together. In, I believe, just eight streams. Just amazing. Just an amazing time. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go ahead and put them in the chat. I will talk about them. If not, or if you've got something you need to save, please join me on my Instagram. That's where I do all my updates. At Sidecar Stories. I'm Sam, and I have loved this. So, it is an interesting start to a world, isn't it? You've had somebody go in, and uh, it doesn't seem like he's had a very normal first year. I don't know if anybody out there remembers their first year in middle school, because that's basically where he's at right now, is roughly sixth grade. Um, wow. It's a big sixth grade for him. Big, big year for that. But he's found out a whole lot more about his history, about his past, which for Harry is going to be, I think, more and more important. He's encountered one of the darkest entities of the whole wizarding world, and he came out, maybe not on top, certainly a force to contend with. I have had a wonderful time streaming. I look forward to doing it again next week. And I just want to leave you all the wonderful image here of this whole group. Happy together. It's a strange feeling to have finished a book. Um, I've heard people describe it as like someone who's been in your life for a while, has gone away somewhere. Between books, it's a bit like that. Fortunately, we're in a position where we know that this person who's been in our lives, Harry, to me it's more J.K. Rowling, um, will be returning very shortly. Don't get to interact with him a lot more. I'm looking forward to interacting with you guys a lot more. Thank you for joining me for basically season one of Sidecar Stories. I can't wait to get to the next book. All right. I hope you have a wonderful night. I am going to put up the discussion thread on the Instagram, and we can move any comments or questions or concerns over to there. I'll probably stay up here for another, I don't know, two minutes just chatting if anybody else has anything else. I think this is a wonderful series that she's written here. I got to do some some watching, I guess you'd say. Uh, I found a, a little documentary about her life as she was finishing up the very last book in this series, which we're not going to talk about too much because uh, that'll get me down real quick. But just listening to her as a person and talk about the time in her life when she was beginning this, when she was writing this book... Uh, a lot of her life had kind of crashed down around her ears, basically. Um, she was just about homeless. She had a son. She was a single mother. And 
it was an incredible struggle. So this book was a way for her to escape some of that, and I think writing is very good for that. It can be good as an escape. Um, I've heard it said that writing for all writers is a form of therapy. I think that can be true. I think I think in books you can you can write people better than yourself. You can write people who make the right choices. And I think when somebody writes really honestly, it takes some skill as well, but when somebody writes really honestly, like I think J.K. Rowling has done here, it can mean a lot to the people who are reading it and who are experiencing it. And I think that's why this series of books has connected so much with people over the years. I believe the first one was written in... Oh, boy. Was it 1997? I may have to look that up. But, uh, yeah, over... It's been um, 20 years now. And this book has meant so much to so many people because I think she was so honest about so many different parts of life. And she knows her audience very well. She knows the things that people at this age are struggling with. Um, you think about Hermione and how she she might feel on the outside because her interest has always been in books and in learning. And not everybody is wired like that. But she's found a group of people, a group of friends, who can accept her. Ron, at the very beginning of the book, did a lot of talking about how he was poor. He didn't like to talk about it. He, uh, he was able to talk about it with Harry. And I think that's part of what, uh, what the bond was there. Harry, of course, comes from a position of never having friends. He's never had a group of people like this before. Even his family, he, he, you know, he can't consider to be friends. I've got a family that I consider to be fantastic friends. I'm very close with them. It's wonderful. It's great to have a big family. But uh, Harry comes from a position where he, he would take whatever he gets. And yet something in him is drawing him to the right people. You can, you can see as he makes his choices, he talks to Malfoy, gets the sense that you know, Malfoy may not be a great guy. He could, you know, Harry could just take the, um, I don't know, the lazy route, the route with less integrity. Um, just, you know, connect up with the first guy that comes along, like Malfoy, but he picks the right people. Choosing good friends is very important. All right. I'm going to shut it down. Wonderful people, thank you so, so much. I will see you next week for the start of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Have a great night and a great week.